Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Mildred and Elsie, Episode 2 The end of the week found the Dinsmores and Mildred in Philadelphia. Very busy with sightseeing and shopping, each one of the party was to be furnished with a suitable outfit for fall and the coming winter, and Mildred had a long list of commissions from her mother. Mrs. Dinsmore showed herself keenly interested in the purchase of her own and her children's finery, languidly so in Mildred's. These procured, she immediately declared herself completely worn out and unfit for further exertion. No one regretted it. Mildred had learned to rely to a great extent upon her own taste and judgment, and with Mr. Dinsmore's efficient help, succeeded quite to her satisfaction in filling out the remainder of her list. To him fell the task of buying for his little granddaughter and Mildred was not a little gratified by being taken into his counsels and invited to assist his choice of materials and the fashion in which they should be made up. Spite of some drawbacks to her pleasure, principally caused by Mrs. Dinsmore's infirmities of temper, Mildred thoroughly enjoyed her stay in the city of brotherly love. It was drawing to a close when on coming down from her room one morning and entering the private parlor of their party, she was met by a joyous greeting from little Elsie. Oh, Cousin Millie, I'm so glad. Grandpa has got a letter from my papa, and my papa says Elsie must go and buy some pretty presents for all the folks at your home. Isn't that ever so nice? Thank you, darling, you and your papa, Mildred said, stooping to caress the child. He is very kind, and I know your generous little heart can find no greater pleasure than in giving to others. She's a Dinsmore in that, her grandfather said with a proud smile. They have always esteemed it the greatest luxury wealth can purchase. And Elsie is fortunately abundantly able to gratify herself in that way, and her father has given her carte blanche subject to my approval, of course. So, my dear, you are not to object to anything we may take it into our heads to do. He patted Elsie's curly pate as he spoke and looked smilingly into Mildred's eyes. You are very kind now and always, uncle, the young girl responded, returning his smile and blushing slightly, and I don't know that I have a right to object to anything that's not done for myself. The entrance of Mrs. Dinsmore and her children simultaneously with the bringing in of breakfast put a stop to the conversation. Well, Mildred, if it suits your convenience, we will set out at once upon this final shopping expedition, her uncle said as they left the table, and her consent being given, he directed Chloe to make Elsie ready to accompany them. The child was in her element as they went from one store to another, and she chose, with the assistance of her grandfather and cousin, her gifts to Mildred's parents, brothers, and sisters. At last they entered the largest jewelry establishment in the city, and Mr. Dinsmore asked to be shown some of the best gold watches for ladies. I am commissioned to select one for a lady friend, he said to Mildred in a grave, half-preoccupied tone as the jeweler promptly complied with his request, 
and I want your assistance in making a choice. But I am no judge of a watch, Uncle, she returned. Elsie here could select about as well as I. Well, Elsie shall have her say about it, too, Mr. Dinsmore said, looking smilingly from one to the other. All I want from either of you is an opinion in regard to the outside appearance, while this gentleman and I will judge of the quality of the works. They presently made a selection of both watch and chain satisfactory to all parties. Elsie chose a plain gold ring for Mildred, and one for each of her sisters, and they left the store. Elsie whispered something to her grandfather as he took his seat beside her in the carriage. He shook his head. Wait till we get home, she, he said rather curtly. We are going now to choose the new piano. It was for the drawing room at Roselands, and he took Mildred with him to try the instrument and tell him which she thought the best and finest toned. Mildred was equally charmed with several, two in particular, and they had some little difficulty in fixing upon the one that should be ordered to Roselands. I will leave it undecided for today, Mr. Dinsmore said at length, and will call again tomorrow. On the way to their hotel, and when arrived there, little Elsie seemed all eagerness, yet kept it in check, in obedience to an occasional warning look from her grandfather. Mildred went directly to her room to remove her bonnet and shawl, then sat down in a low chair by the window to rest and think, while waiting the summons to dinner. She had scarcely done so when there was a gentle tap as of baby fingers at her door, and Elsie's sweet voice was heard asking in eager, excited tones for admittance. "'Yes, darling, come in,' Mildred answered, and the door flew open and the child ran in, closely followed by her mammy. The small hands held a jewel case, and the large, soft brown eyes were full of love and delight as she hastened to place it in Mildred's lap, saying, "'It's for you, cousin.' My papa said in his letter that Elsie might buy it for you. She raised the lid. See, Cousin Millie, see, aren't you so glad? There lay the watch and chain they had helped Mr. Dinsmore select that morning. A watch was a far greater luxury in those days than it is now, and this a costly and beautiful one. Mildred could scarcely believe the evidence of her senses. Surely it must be all a dream. She gazed at the child in dumb surprise. Elsie lifted her pretty present with dainty care, threw the chain round Mildred's neck, and slid the watch into the bosom of her dress, then stepping back a little to take a better view. See, Mammy, see, she cried, clapping her hands and dancing up and down in delight. Doesn't it look pretty on cousin? Just lovey, honey. Don't Miss Millie like it? Aunt Chloe's look into Mildred's face was half reproachful half entreating. Could it be possible that her darling's beautiful, costly gift was not appreciated? Like it, cried Mildred, catching the child in her arms and covering the little face with kisses, a tear or two mingling with them to the great wonderment of the little one. Like it? Oh, it is only too lovely and expensive to be bestowed upon me, sweet pet. You should keep it for yourself. Cousin Millie ought not to take it from you. Yes, Papa did say so in his letter. Grandpa read the words to Elsie. And when I's big enough, I is to have my mama's watch. But it costs so much, murmured Millie, half to herself as she drew out the watch and gazed at it with admiring eyes. My chili have plenty on Monday, 
responded Aunt Chloe, and houses and land and everything of this world's riches. And she loves you, Miss Millie. And if you don't take that watch and chain, she will most break her breast little heart, won't you, honey? The child nodded, and the soft eyes gazing into Mildred's filled with tears. It was impossible to resist their eloquent pleading. Then Cousin Will accepted with, your, with her heartiest thanks, and value it more for the sake of the dear little giver than for its usefulness, its beauty, or its cost, Mildred said, taking Elsie on her lap and holding her in a close, loving embrace. Dear little girlie, she murmured tenderly, cousin will never intentionally rob you of the smallest pleasure or plant the least thorn in your path. Another light tap at the door, and Mr. Dinsmore joined them. Ah, that is right, he said, with a smiling glance at the chain about Mildred's neck. Uncle, it is too much. You should not have allowed it, G. How could you? Mildred asked half reproachfully. I only obeyed orders, was his laughing rejoinder. Horace feels as I do also that we owe a debt of gratitude to your mother, to say nothing of the affection we have for you all. And he knows from the reports I have given him of his child that he could not afford her a greater gratification than the permission to do this. Besides, you have been extremely kind to her, and ought not to object to her making you some small return in the only way she can. Oh, uncle, her love and sweet caresses have more than recompensed the little I have done a been able to do for her, the darling, cried Mildred, heaping fresh caresses upon the little fair one. Mr. Lord called that afternoon to report himself as arrived in the city, and to inquire if it were Mildred's intention to accept his escort on the homeward journey. His stay would necessarily be short, not more than two or three days. Mildred met him with outstretched hand and eyes, shining with pleasure. She had been so long away from home, was so hungry for a sight of anything connected with pleasant plains, that had she unexpectedly encountered Damaris Drybread, she would very probably have greeted her with something like affection. She perceived no change in Mr. Lord except that he had a new set of teeth. He seemed to her in all other respects precisely what he was when she bade him good-bye a year ago, but he was astonished, bewildered, delighted at the change in her. He had always admired her fresh young beauty, but it was as though the sweet bud had blossomed into the half-blown lovely rose, with just a few of its petals still softly folded. He blushed and stammered, answered her eager queries about old friends and all that had been going on in Pleasant Plains since she left in the most absent-minded way, and scarcely took his eyes from her face. In short, so conducted himself as to make his feelings toward her evident to the most careless observer. Mildred, said Mrs. Dinsmore, when at last he had taken his departure for that day, if I were your mother, you should stay from home another year before I would trust you to travel with that man. Why, aunt, you cannot think him anything but a good man, exclaimed the girl in astonishment. Humph, that's a question I don't pretend to decide, but don't I beg of you. Let him persuade you on the way that it is your duty to marry him. If he can only make you believe it's your duty, you'll do it or... "'Whether you want to or not,' Mildred's cheeks flushed hotly. "'Oh, Aunt Dismore,' she cried, "'he could never be so foolish. "'Why, he is old enough to be my father, "'and so wise and good, and I but a silly young thing, "'as unfit as possible for the duties and responsibilities of a—' 
minister's wife, suggested Mrs. Dinsmore as the young girl broke off in confusion. Well, I don't know about that. You are pious enough in all conscience. But, Mildred, you positively must reject him. It would be a terrible hard life, and, and he has not offered, and I believe, I hope, never will. So I am not called upon to consider the question of acceptance or rejection. That was very rude, Miss Keith. You're, in, you're interrupting me in that way, Mrs. Mil Dinsmore said, half in displeasure, half in sport. Well, if you will allow me, I shall finish what I had to say. I've set my heart on seeing you and Charlie Landreth make a match. There, why do you call her so and turn your head away? Charlie likes you, is in fact deeply in love. I feel perfectly certain, and doubtless will follow you before long. You may take my word for it that he would have proposed before we left the springs, if it hadn't been for that sudden summons to his dying sister. Mildred made no reply. She had kept her face studiously averted, and was glad that the entrance at that moment of a servant with a letter for Mrs. Dinsmore gave her an opportunity to escape from the room. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic.